0: All right, so you can all be seated. Good to hear the buzz in the room. Let me just say a special welcome to those of you who are new or visiting us today, and my apologies if that part made you feel uncomfortable. My wife read a book a while ago calling called "The Power of Introverts," and basically said for most introverts, when churches do that kind of thing, they hate it. So I apologize. I'm a bit of an introvert too, but uh, we do want you to know that we we care about you and are glad that you're all here today. So. Well, as I said earlier, we are in a series in the book of Revelation on chapters two and three, which are about the churches of Revelation. So we are at church number five today, and this church is called Sardis. You're going to find it in Revelation chapter three, and this was the church that was known for its reputation. So we're going to talk about being known for your reputation today. So when you think of that word, or you think of the idea of someone's reputation, or maybe your own reputation, what comes to mind? Now, uh, I threw up some synonyms, so throw up that next slide there. Oh wait, anyway, there's Sardis. You have a reputation, here's the synonyms for, for that word. So what do you think of when you think of reputation? You know, reputation is one of those things that you could spend a lifetime to earn a good reputation and yet lose it in a moment. And haven't you seen that? I mean, it can be so sad in our culture, and I think it's especially hard on, on say, leaders, politicians, business people, celebrities, or whatever. They can spend a lifetime building a reputation, and they can, they can ruin it in a moment, and we, we all can think of that. You know, I often feel bad for businesses and, say, especially restaurants. To where they can, they can work so hard to build up a good reputation and it would just take one bad review or gossip getting around about something that can ruin a reputation. And that can be devastating for, for businesses. I'm sure businesses have a, a love-hate relationship with social media because, you know, a great review can be, good, can be a good way to build your business, but a bad review can be devastating. So reputation is important and yet sometimes scary. So when we think about reputation, and we apply it now to the church, what's the reputation of the church? Well, you'd have to break it down by different regions of the world, because there's lots of regions in the world where the church still has a very good reputation. I would say unfortunately though, being a church in Canada or in North America, often I think our reputation suffers. And whether it's all of the scandals with leadership and abuses that have happened in the church, those are horrible and hard for us to hear, but it tarnishes the reputation of church. And probably the classic thing you hear people say all the time who, when they think about church, usually two things come up, right? Churches are full of hypocrites and church people are judgmental. Isn't that a wonderful reputation? Aren't you glad to be a part of the church? Oh Lord, forgive us and let that not be true, but sadly it is at times and again. It can be so hard to earn a reputation, and yet it can just take a second to ruin it. And that's what's so difficult about this. And yet Jesus said to this church, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So what's the reputation of Bridgeway? Now, I'm not from Swift Current. I'm from Saskatoon. And I could bore you to tears with lots of stories about the different churches in Saskatoon and what their reputation is. And again, just based on what I know and what I've heard. But I won't do that. But I've been, in my career, I've been a youth pastor, I've been a young adults pastor, and I have served in a couple different churches in Saskatoon. And it's quite hilarious to me how this works, right? So I'm guessing it's the same in Swift, but there's often in Saskatoon kind of like the hot youth group. And everyone in the city knows where the hot and youth group is. Same with young adult groups. And sometimes even with churches. And you've seen over the years, certain churches kind of get the reputation of being the happening church for a while. And then something happens or some other church, you know, whatever, does something new and cool, a great initiative. And people start crowding there. And then they're the new church with the hot reputation. I don't know if that happens here in Swift. I've heard enough from a lot of you that perhaps it's maybe even more true because you're smaller and it's more of a microcosm. But reputation is huge right and i've heard people talk about churches around town i won't say what you've said (laughs) but what's the reputation of bridgeway now a few weeks ago we had a former pastor here um, pastor peter nickel who was your pastor during kind of the heyday of this church and for many people, and especially those of you that are, that are my age and older, that era of the church, Bridgeway had a huge reputation of being a very successful, God-honoring, missional, growing kind of church, right? So it had an era of having a, a good reputation. Now, recently, and again, this is me being the ignorant guy from far away, but when I first started hearing about you a couple of years ago from people in the conference, Sadly, your reputation was Bridgeway's a hurting church, a struggling church. Now, that's, that's a sad, hard reputation, and yet what I want to encourage you with today is as I've been able to spend these last months with you and get to know you and get to feel what this church really is and who you people really are, I'm just so excited for us to be done with that old reputation. I wish I could just declare it over. I can't. I don't have the power to do that. But we can collectively and by the power of the Spirit as we continue to move forward in forgiveness and reconciliation and new hope. But let's change our identity. Let's change our reputation. Let's live that down and let's be the church of Jesus Christ. Let's be a faithful church, a reaching church, a loving church, an accepting church, the very kind of church you all want to be a part of. Remember, the church isn't me, or Darren, or our leaders, or this building, you're the church. The reputation of Bridgeway really comes down to how all of us treat each other and the people in our community. And so I encourage you, let's, let's change our reputation and let's be a healthy church, an on fire church, a missional church, a faithful church, a loving church, an accepting church. That's the best reputation. And not to ever be proud of it, but to be confident in who we are and who God has called us to be. So I hope that this line, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead, isn't true of us. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say to the church of Sardis, and then consider what he may be saying to us today. So you can follow along on the screen, or if you have your your own Bible or on the phone today. um, This is Revelation chapter 3, and I'll read the first three verses. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, this letter starts, like every one of the seven letters, with Jesus introducing himself and declaring to the churches that he is God, that he is the one that sits on the throne. So even though they're living in the middle of the Roman Empire, where emperor is everything, Jesus is the contrast in saying, Caesar is not the king of kings and lord of lords, I, Jesus, the Lamb of God, am the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one you worship. So all of that beautiful imagery that we are introduced to in chapter 1 comes out in his unique introductions. So when Jesus talks about being the words of him who holds, he's got the whole world in his hands. Anyone old enough to remember that song? And he's, what is he holding? He's holding the seven stars, which we found out in chapter 1. The, st- the seven stars, or the seven angels, or the seven seven messengers of the churches. So Jesus is saying, I'm holding the churches in the palm of my hands. And then the sevenfold spirit, are the, or the seven spirits, sometimes it's confusing because it's not really talking about seven spirits, but it's an Old Testament imagery of how the Holy Spirit is described as the sevenfold spirit. And so Jesus is basically saying that he's holding and he's in a sense, in unity with the Holy Spirit of God. And because he's talking to a church that is dead, he wants to introduce himself by the very part of God that brings life, the Spirit of God. And so that, that's coming already out in, in the introduction. So then, the famous line I've been talking about already, in verse 1, when he says, you have a reputation, a reputation of being alive, but actually you're dead. Now, I can't speak for sure about the state of the Sardis church and why this is true for them, but we can gain some insight from understanding a bit of the reputation of Sardis, because I think Jesus on purpose here is connecting with some things of the city to help them understand the state they're in. So what was the reputation of Sardis? Now, you see a couple pictures there. the one picture is, is the ruins of a, of, the, of a great temple. And then the other one, you see how Sardis was built on this huge hill or this huge acropolis. And, and it was quite a magnificent city. This city was more inland than the other coastal cities we've been talking about. But Sardis had this reputation. As one, one um, historian said, the wealth of Sardis was legendary. Now, this, this was true because hundreds of years before this letter was written, Sardis became a very wealthy city because they discovered gold in the mountains and the caves around them. And so, this great discovery meant that Sardis became a center for coin minting. In fact, some of the earliest king or coins of the ancient world were minted in Sardis. And also, Sardis became known for its jewelry making. So, there was, there was a lot of wealth and that was one in one reputation of the city. Also, when I told you how about it being built on a mountaintop, apparently it was 1,500 feet high, the city was built. And so they were also had this reputation of being impregnable. Sardis cannot be conquered. We're on the top of this mountain. We can see our enemies coming for miles around. And so they just felt like they were good and they were safe. So their reputation of being, of being safe and their reputation of being cared for and, and wealthy was a big part of their reputation. Sardis was also known as an entertainment center. Um, the ancient runes um, show that it had a huge sports arena that sat thousands and a huge theater. And, and they had their main temple to the gods was to the god Artemis, and there were several in, the, in the, that area, but their temple was known as the most beautiful, and so they kind of had that reputation as well. So, a little bit about the reputation of Sardis, and you could probably guess already how some of those same ideas infiltrated into the church. Now, as we've read those first few verses, have you noticed what's missing that's pretty much always brought up in the other churches? The key thing I'll point out to you that I think is missing is that all the other churches, there was persecution. No persecution here. So in a city that is well off and safe, a church that's well off, comfortable, and safe, and no persecution, they have a reputation for being alive, but they're dead. Hmm. Sounds kind of North American church-esque. Now, what does Jesus say to this church that's living on their reputation of the past. What does he say twice? Oh, you see it already bolded on the screen. He says, wake up! Wake up! Says it twice for emphasis. Now, as I told you some earlier, I think not everybody knows this yet, but I travel back and forth to Saskatoon every week, so I put a lot of miles on the vehicle. I'm doing a lot of driving. And I know a lot of you do, too. So I wonder what some of your strategies are for staying awake when you're drowsy at the wheel. Okay, that's horrible, right? I think some Now, some of you that do night shifts or, or um, have to drive home after, you know, when you know that you're getting drowsy and falling asleep and that's not good, what do you do, right? you got to do whatever you can to stay awake because you know what the consequences are if you don't. And especially when you're driving alone. So I don't know what your strategies are, but I mean, typically, when you're trying to stay awake, when you're getting drowsy in the car, you probably start with making sure the temperature's down a little bit, right? Because if it's too warm in there, makes you more drowsy, a little bit cooler, might keep you awake. Then maybe the next thing is you might try to crank the music. So in the old days, for us old people, we'd crank the radio, you know, maybe some ACDCs on or something just to wake you up. (laughs) But whatever, whatever way you play music, get some music cranked, Maybe if it's really bad, you might like even crank the window. Oh, that's right. You don't crank windows open anymore. You would open the window. See, I still crank my window open. Crank the window open. Maybe even like drive it. Have you ever stuck your head out of the window? Just anything to stay awake? Yeah, some of you know. Like anything to stay awake. I've heard that eating sunflower seeds, yep. some of you do that. I've heard that works. I've, I've only tried that a couple times. A good friend of mine who did a lot of traveling, I thought this was kind of funny. He would buy a box of Smarties and he would, he would watch his odometer, and every 10K, he could eat one. <laughs> and that was his way. I don't know how he had the self-discipline. My box of Smarties would have been gone long before that. But. Anyway, the point of the illustration is, in that situation, we would do anything to stay awake, because we know how important it is to stay awake, or it actually could be tragic if we don't. And I think that's kind of the language here of waking up, that we would do whatever we can to stay awake. Now, going from that kind of staying awake to being spiritually asleep, let's think about that for a moment. Why why do we fall asleep spiritually? What causes us to fall asleep spiritually? Now, seemingly the Sardis church, and probably the most obvious or typical answer may be, that just complacency, just feeling safe and comfortable in our life and in everything else can cause us to get spiritually drowsy. That, that would be pretty common. You know, there, there might be times where we're just getting bored. The routines of our life and even the routines of our spiritual practices. Maybe it's just coming to church on Sunday and trying to do a few spiritual things here and there, and yet spiritually you're bored. Nothing is moving you, nothing is interesting you, nothing is grabbing at your heart, and yeah, you get spiritually sleepy, spiritually, spiritually tired. You know, maybe for some of us, we're, we're spiritually exhausted. You know, we've, we've been doing lots, both in life and maybe in ministry and in the church, and we've served and served and served and... and done, and done, and done, and tried, and tried, and tried, and we don't want to admit it, but if we're honest, we're exhausted, and sometimes just sheer physical, and even emotional, and spiritual exhaustion can have us get drowsy, and falling asleep spiritually, so I don't know where you're at today, and yes, this warning from Jesus is strong, and it's powerful, but I want you to hear the grace in the midst of the warning. Jesus isn't saying, wake up, because he's excited to punish you. (laughs) No. We've got to get those images of Jesus out of it. He wants us to wake up because we're his children. He loves us, and he wants us to know the fullness of life in him. He wants us personally and as a church to be effective and to be awake spiritually. So before you just hear the warning here, hear the invitation Hear a Jesus that loves you, that's maybe hopefully saying it a little bit maybe like a stern parent, but a loving parent that's saying, wake up, wake up, do whatever you need to do to wake up. So what's Jesus' lines here for waking up? Verse 3, he says, remember, then he says, hold fast, or I'll, I'll say re-embrace or embrace what you've known to be the things that give you life, and then Repent. So that's Jesus' instructions for how we wake up spiritually. So unpacking that a little bit, if we're, at a, if we're in a place of dryness and dullness, bored, exhausted, knowing that we're about to fall asleep spiritually, Jesus saying, remember. Remember when you were awake. Remember when the Christian life was actually full of joy. When Remember when there was actually some excitement and some passion and some purpose to your life. And as you remember that, Think of what life was like then. What happened to you? What kind of spiritual practices did you have? What kind of communities were you in? What kinds of things were you doing? What brought life and vitality to you? Remember that. And then re-embrace some of that. Hold fast. And I think he's talking more about the truths of how amazing being saved and forgiven and given life in Christ and having the Spirit live in you, reviewing all the amazing things that happen because we believe in Jesus but then also remembering and holding fast and, and reenacting those things that were a part of what had you be spiritually alive. And then thirdly, he says to repent. And I find it interesting that repent is third along here. And here's why I think why. I think repent is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. Because when we hear repent, all we hear is, I'm an evil sinner who needs to feel shame and guilt. That is not what repent means. That's what the enemy would want us to think repent means, so that we think that it's this horrid word. But you know what? Repent is actually an awesome word, because you no, know, repent simply means change your mind. Repent simply means that you're, you're walking this way in life, living life for yourself, living life that isn't very successful, and then you encounter Jesus, or, you, or he encounters you, and you go, huh. Oh, I need to change my mind and change how I'm living. And so you turn around and you start following Jesus. That's repent. So repent is an invitation. It's not a judgment or a bad you, evil you, guilt, guilt. No, invitation. Jesus is saying, wake up. He's saying, remember, re-embrace the things that brought you life. And then in that moment, say, Jesus, help me. I wanna change my mind here and I wanna turn around. I don't want to start following you again. So I encourage you with the very words of Jesus. Now, I'm going to add some suggestion words of dawn here. Just wanted to make sure I made them all very different. But I want to add a little bit to just the idea of, what are some ideas of how we can wake up or stay awake spiritually? And just a, just a few little things of a suggestion here. First of all, I would say to you, in, your, in the way that you spend time with God, I would just say, change it up. I find that so many people get into routines of how they think they need to spend time with God. And that may be just the routine of coming to church. It may be the routine of how you do your quiet time or devotions or other routines that you have. And maybe for some of you, those things are just getting dead. And you would never want to say that out loud because somehow you just would feel really terrible or guilty or think that there's, you know, like how can you ever admit to someone that you're bored reading your Bible? That would just make you sound so unspiritual and you'd never say it. But I know for a lot of you, your spiritual routines are feeling dry and dead and they're not bringing you life. And you know, we know, it's got nothing to do with the Bible. We know the Bible is God's living word and it's amazing. So obviously there's something within us. But, you know, sometimes we just need to do something as simple as change it up. Remember? Remember? Cranking down the window, right, and sticking your head out, because you got to do something different if you're going to stay awake. So, I mean, there's so many examples. I know that, you know, for a lot of you, you're not sit and meditate type people. That's really hard for you, and yet often you feel like the only way people in church tell you you can spend time with God is if you sit and meditate. Well, you know, you could do all kinds of different things. I know someone that I, I'm not going to name because I don't want to embarrass them, but you're gonna all guess who it is probably anyway, but they come to the church a couple times a week and they do laps of the gym praying. Praying for our church family and it's beautiful and I love it and I'm going, that probably brings life to this person because they're being active while they're praying and spending time with God. Maybe something like that would work for you. You know, maybe it's getting hard to read but maybe just um, listen to scripture. There's so many apps that you can do that with now. Just put in the headphones, put on scripture, and go for a walk, be out in nature. I know the weather isn't gonna help with this in the, in the near future, but connecting with nature, hearing God's word that way, I don't know, there could be so many ways. Um, just over a year ago, a good friend of mine gave me a Celtic prayer book, and at first I thought it was kinda weird, and then I got into it, and it, it's been awesome because it, it brought new life to my quiet time. So I'm reading all these ancient Celtic prayers, and, and along with my Bible reading, and it's just bringing new life to me because I'm hearing about the way others walk with Jesus in different ways and unique ways to me, and it inspires me. So again, we're all different people, but I just want to encourage you, whatever it takes, stick in your head out the window, change it up. Find other ways to spend time with God and to reignite that passion, and let it be unique to you and how, how you're wired and what, what you're into. I could give so many other examples, but that's enough for now. So my second suggestion to stay awake spiritually or to wake up, you got to be in community somewhere. And when I say being in community, I don't mean showing up for church. That's really good too. But you know what? We need people in our lives. Can I encourage you? Stop isolating. Okay, we had to isolate for a while. And I think for some of us introverts, we actually liked the pandemic because we had a great excuse to isolate from everyone but you know what? Can I declare that it's over? The isolating is over, and you know what? If we're going to be awake spiritually, we need community. We need people in our lives, and even if you're like me, and you're an introvert, and you gain energy for being alone, yeah, still take your alone time, but you know what? We need people. I need people speaking into my life. You know, if I don't have people speaking into my life, guess what I do? I live within my own head, And if I live within my own head for too long, I start spinning all the negative thoughts. And I start believing all kinds of lies about myself because I'm just living within my own inner world. And that is so dangerous. We need each other because we need someone to say, that's not true. This is who you are. This is what's really going on. This is how valuable you are. This is what you mean to me. And we need to do that for others. So let me just encourage you again. Stop isolating Be in community. Now, it just may mean meeting with a few friends and and choosing to encourage each other and talk about more things than than just sports and the weather. You know, maybe join a small group. Maybe be a part of, I know, our our men's ministry and our women's ministry and family ministries. There's so many ways that that you could meet people and be in community, but we need each other. And we're going to be much more awake and energized when we're around people it's a lot harder to sleep when you're with people than when you're alone, right? So, one more thing. And this one might be the hardest one, but I call it risk. If you want to stay awake spiritually or wake up, how about praying a really dangerous prayer? What if you prayed a prayer like, okay, God, I'm desperately falling asleep spiritually here. I'm sticking my head out the window driving down the road. Okay, God, the next opportunity that you bring my way, I'm going to say yes. Let me tell you, that is a really dangerous prayer. I prayed that prayer a few times in my life, and I don't know why, but God answers that one. And usually the thing that he brings along has you go, oh my goodness, that is the last thing I want to do, and I'm now going to need to step out in faith and do it. Okay, I could tell you a few stories about this. I'm going to tell you my most... um, cutesy story about this, because it was when I was young. So I'm a young college student, and I'm feeling convicted about being quite complacent in my spiritual life. And I forget exactly where or how I was challenged, I was challenged along these lines to take a risk in my spiritual journey. And I was kind of an insecure young adult, and so I, you know, I was fearful of a lot of things, so I would rather say no than say yes to opportunities. But I prayed that dangerous prayer, I said, okay Lord, I'm gonna pray this prayer, and the next time I'm asked to do something, I'm gonna say yes. Well, wouldn't you know it? The very next day, this crazy girl comes bounding up to me and says, I hear you play guitar. Would you help me lead worship at this prayer meeting thing tonight? And everything in me wanted to say no. Even though I thought this girl was kinda of cute, <laughs> I still wanted to say no. Because it was like, I'm a crappy guitar player, and I don't really want to do this because I might look like an idiot, or it will be uncomfortable. Or... And yet, the Holy Spirit said, hm, you just prayed the prayer, Don. So I said yes. Now, I told you this was my, this was my uh, what did I call it, schmaltzy story. So anyway, that girl was my wife, now Una. And I basically didn't know her then. But, so, anyway, that's just too good of a story to go take a risk and some amazing thing will happen to you. Maybe not. But you know what? The spiritual lesson of the risk is you never know. Because you know what? When we risk, like, it makes us uncomfortable. And guess what? When we're uncomfortable, we're less drowsy. And you know what? For some of us, we're so close to falling asleep spiritually that maybe you need the risk pill and to take that dive and say, okay, God. And you know what? Maybe someone is going to ask you to do something, and you're going to want to say no because you're going to give all the excuses. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not old enough. And you could probably get the long, long list. And yet Jesus will call you and use you because guess what? In your weakness, he's strong. He can take a willing heart, and he can equip you for anything. And so, can I encourage you? Take a risk. We desperately need leaders in lots of places in this church, so be leery, but pray the prayer. All right. So, again, remember Jesus' words and just take my little uh, additions of suggestions to heart, I pray, as the Spirit leads you. All right. Well, let's, um, oh no, we got to go to, we got to go to, nope, next, next part of the verse. All right, no, actually, sorry, you gotta go back one for me. Lost my spot here, because in verse three, he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold fast, repent, but if you do not wake up, okay, here's the warning, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. So Jesus brings up this idea and this warning of that he's gonna come like a thief in the night. Now, if that sounds familiar, It's because it is. So that idea of thief in the night is also said in the Gospels and some of the other letters in Scripture. So the church by this time may have already understood that imagery of the thief in the night. But what's also interesting about the city of Sardis is they as a city understood this concept too. Do you remember the picture? I think that's in the next. Remember the picture of how the city was built on that high hill and they thought they were impregnable? Well, because of that, they were, they, they were very lack about defense. They thought they were fine. And yet, history tells us that there was two key times when the city was taken over in the middle of the night. Because see that great hillside there? that the, the armies would come, and at night, they would sneak up, and then one, two, three, pounce on the city. The city was completely unprepared. And so twice, Sardis was utterly destroyed by their enemies because of their complacency. Also, another tragic thing that happened in the night to, to Sardis was a couple hundred years before this, they had had a major earthquake that came in the night and that devastated the city. So the residents of Sardis understood this idea of unexpected tragedy, the thief in the night kind of idea. And so Jesus' words would have been powerful. If you don't wake up, I'm going to come to you. So this is, this is the warning. This is, this is the hard part of the message. And yet that's Jesus' heart for his church, not to fall asleep, but to wake up and to be the church and the people that he called them to be. The invitation is still there. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to come as a thief in the night. That's the warning. That's the judgment. But what he really wants is for, the, for us to take the invitation and wake up spiritually. All right, well now, now the last part of the letter. Verses 4 to 6, Revelation 3, 4 to 6, says this. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's the promise from Jesus. The promise to the overcomer. The promise to the victorious one. The promise to the one that endures. The one that takes the steps and the endurance to stay awake, to wake up. Beautiful promises here. First, he talks about white clothes or a white robe. And there's so much imagery with the white robe. First of all, the white, all through Scripture, is always the image of purity. So the idea of the white robe is the idea of forgiveness and purity that that comes from Jesus. White clothing would also set you apart, because most common clothing would have been some kind of colored, and so the idea of wearing white clothing means that you stand out. You're special, you're select. That would be a part of the understanding of the white clothing. But probably the the most vivid image that the people of Sardis would have understood with white clothing was the emperor. You see, when the emperor had a great victory, there would be a parade, and the emperor would be dressed in white for everyone to see, to basically declare this great victory. And what Jesus is saying here is that, you know what? If you overcome, if you persevere, if you're victorious, I'm gonna put you in white clothing. And I'm the true emperor, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, you're going to join my victory parade and you're going to wear white clothes with me in victory. That's the promise here. The author of uh, the message translation, who is Eugene Peterson, understood it this way too and this is how he wrote verses 4 and 5. He said, you still have a few followers of Jesus and Sardis who haven't ruined themselves wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. They'll walk with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Conquerors will march in the victory parade, their names indelible in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my Father and his angels. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine Jesus introducing you to his Father? I can't imagine that. That's what the scripture says. That's the promise, the white robe. The promise to the overcomer is that Jesus says, I want to introduce you to my Father. Do you Remember how Jesus says that if you will profess me before others, I will profess you before my Father. This is him naming that promise again. That's his heart and his desire. Yes, the warning is here. But I think what Jesus wants us to most see is the promise for the victorious. We're being called here to persevere and endure and then to look forward to this incredible promise. That's our Jesus. So, Jesus' words were remember, embrace, and repent. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning before we close to respond. So if you'd bow your, bow your heads with me. So let me just pray. Um, Lord, Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge you. We worship you. We thank you for this incredible word. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will guide us now as we consider how you are speaking to us. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just move in power through this room. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in minds and hearts. I pray that you will take away the dross of Dawn's words. And Lord, that which comes from your spirit and your word, make that true and real in people's lives today. So just continue to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Because I want this to be between you and God. And then I'm going to ask you to do a small risk today. and I would like to pray for you. If you feel that today you're on the verge of falling asleep spiritually, it may be because you're bored, it may be because you're exhausted, it may be just that your heart's grown cold and and you know it, but you, you know deep down that you're either asleep or close to falling asleep. If that's you today, I'd like to pray for you. So I'm gonna ask you just again, with everyone's eyes closed, everyone's heads bowed, just quickly raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. you. Well, Lord, you, you know each of us and you know all of our hearts. And Lord, I just want to pray specifically now for those who raised their hands. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to risk and to communicate to you. Because Lord, I believe in that hand being raised, they're saying, I don't want to fall asleep. Or they're saying, wake me up, Holy Spirit. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now over each one of these people that raised their hands. I pray that you will move upon them now in power and place within them a renewed desire to follow you and to know you again. And Lord, I pray that you would give them power and courage to make decisions, to stay awake, to change things up, to to remember, to repent and turn back to you. Lord, let them know how much you are longing to be in relationship with them, how much you are longing to be alive in their lives again. Lord, that's your love for them. Lord, let them know that and call them back. Wake them up. So I just say to each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, wake up. Be alive in Christ. And Lord, I pray that over each person here. Lord, I know for some they weren't sure how to respond and it maybe was too uncomfortable, but God, you know their hearts anyway. And so I just extend the same prayer to them. Lord, that you would wake them up, wake us up. God, wake us up as a church by your power and by your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. They're going, to, they're going to close with a couple songs today, so you can just kind of relax. just want to encourage you in the first song just to remain seated and take some time to pray and meditate within your spirit. Certainly feel free to sing along anytime you want, but if you just want to use the first song, as a time just to meditate and reflect. I'll encourage you to do that, and then I think Rachel will probably get us to stand for the last song together. So, thanks and lead us.
1: as we sing one last song. we thank you again that we have a place that we can come together and worship. And I pray that as we go from here, that we remember Dawn's words and remember if we took that risk to to listen to where you're leading and to wake up. Father, I pray your hand of safety on us as we go from here and just work in our lives. Amen.